Welcome to The Youth Voice, a podcast giving young people a voice in politics. Today we have a very special episode of The Youth Voice, as today we're hosting a roundtable debate with young people from nearly all of the major parties on, on both sides of the border. So, let's introduce everybody. We have Christine O'Mahony from the Sock Dems. We have Tate Donnelly from the Greens. Cormac McGrain from Ogre Sinn Féin. Luke Corkery from Young Fine Gael. We have Owen Tennyson from Alliance. We have Jack Nolan from Labour, Dara O'Reilly from the SDLP, and Dara Tewi from People Before Profit. So, let's get into it. So, our first topic for debate, guys, is votes at 16. So, if everyone just wants to state their party's position on votes at 16, so would we start with you, Cormac? Uh, yeah, personally, and... As a, a party, we're very much in favour of vote 16. Um, vote 16 has been done as pros by Ogre Sinn Féin on a couple of times now in the last two years, uh, especially, it's uh, definitely been enhanced since the Brexit vote. As we all know, unfortunately, um, you know, you look at other parts of where, of, let's say, where Westminster has control over, um, the Isle of Man, it has voted 16. They were able to decide young people who are going to be most affected by Brexit and upon elections, they were able to decide their fate about Brexit and the Isle of Man voted no on it. And I believe that um, the more that we see politicians um, up north and down south denying um, the right to vote at 16 to young people, I think that just shows, shows a number of things. I'd say the main fear I think some parties have would be that they're they would be worried that they would be outnumbered. However, I do um I've never by votes there'd be more votes going for let's say more left wing parties. Definitely with if you're to legalize with 16. However, I definitely would say that one of the issues of concern with 16 would be that at Monio we're all here, we're all politically minded young people. However, let's be honest, we do know a lot of people who aren't overly politically minded. I have a few of my friends who much to my frustration, still don't vote in some elections. They don't see the point of it. So I think that if we're going to legalise votes from 16 and up, um, I definitely think that an issue that could be sort of before that and also would definitely be helped by legislation that would be the low voter turnout amongst under 18s, no, amongst 18 to 21 years. Yeah. Brilliant. I think we'll go to Luke next. Yeah, thanks. And um, so I personally would be in favour of um, extending the right to devote to 16 and to 17 year olds as has been mentioned it exists in Scotland and Wales in the Isle of, Isle of Man but unfortunately not in the north not in England and not here in the um, Republic and um, as a case study I suppose Scotland is, a, is an example of where you know the issue of um, in the interim there because it was kind of um, the, 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 it was asked if, if young people should have a say in such a huge um, a huge constitutional issue that that would affect their lives uh, directly um, and even more so down the road and Brexit is a prime example of um, I suppose older voters um, outnumbering younger people when it comes to really to, um, deciding something that will that will affect them, them hugely and in the future and unfortunately um, we know what the result of that referendum was but I, I do like to think that young people are more uh, more open-minded and, and more um 
well, uh, I suppose pro-European in that case, but um, I think before we do have um, a discussion around extending the people about things, and I hope we discuss that, that too in this debate as well. Excellent. Uh, I think we'll go to Jack next. Yeah, so to state the Labour Party's position on uh, the vote at 16 and the extension of well, quote-unquote universal suffrage is that the Irish state and um, you know the Assembly in the North need to establish independent electoral commissions that will review the legal um, nature of uh, the right to vote at 16. Um, Brendan Helen called for that as one of the priorities of electoral reform in the last um, general election in the South. And over the last few years, as the campaign has gained steam, Labour and Labour youth activists and elected reps have been very vocal and active in the, uh, the fight to allow 16 and 17 year olds to vote. Uh, I remember vividly attending a panel uh, of which uh, our current Housing and Local Government spokesperson, Senator Rebecca Moynihan, was a co-chair. I myself and various other Labour youth activists were present and engaged with, uh, with you know, the idea of voting at 16 because our position is very clear. Uh, to stand for universal suffrage and you know, yet to endorse the current uh, voting laws that we have in this country around age restrictions, you know, they, they're, they're incompatible. If someone is politically conscious and someone is politically, um, you know, if, if someone wants to vote and you know they want to you know have the democratic right, they shouldn't be denied it based on age, especially when they're in, you know, a position to do so. Like we don't judge a you know a fifty year old to be more capable of voting than an eighteen year old under the current legislation. Yet we consider an eighteen year old more capable to vote than a seventeen year old. And that discrepancy in age and the disparity that arises between, you know, this argument about political maturity and, you know, this kind of lack of political consciousness, it's really just something that is white noise for a lot of people when you see the kind of disparities that exist. And I suppose the Labour Party's position is really to review the issue, to consult with uh, young stakeholders and to really, um, you know, with a view to extending this, this right, as has been done, in the likes of uh, Scotland and Wales for certain elections. Absolutely, I think uh, I think most of the parties here are going to be for it. So, one of the things I'm going to put out to all of you is: how, Are we sure that young people are actually educated enough? I know, even in my A-level politics class, I have got some idiots. Like I've heard people in my A-level politics class, you go in, who who's Arlene Foster, first minister? What party is she the leader of? Uh, she's the leader of the SDLP. Like, are young people really educated enough? Like, are like I understand. Yes, we're all very politically educated people. You know, some of us are studying degrees in politics. You know, some of us have got qualifications. Some of us are studying them. Some of us are politicians, like Owen. Uh, so, are we really educated enough? So, I'm gonna let one of you jump in on that. Any of you can jump in on that. I'm happy to jump in on that one, Dermot. Um, yeah, well, I mean, look, just to pick up on some of the discussions so far, I mean, mention has been made of Scotland and Wales and the fact that Northern Ireland and their public haven't followed suit in terms of votes at 16, and I think that's an important point to pick up on. Elections in Northern Ireland actually remain an accepted matter um, for Westminster, unlike Scotland and Wales. 
So the assembly did actually pass in 2016 a non-binding motion in support of votes at 16. Now, unfortunately, um, sorry, it was 2012. And unfortunately, almost 10 years on now, we haven't actually seen that implemented. So I think that's really disappoint disappointing. And that speaks to the Conservative Party actually and their unwillingness to move because obviously it doesn't serve their political interests to start extending the franchise to younger people. So that's an important point. And I think that's something that I would really want to see progressed in, in the near future. In terms of political education, I mean, there are people who are elected who I sometimes think don't really have a clue about politics. Um, I don't think, you know, you're going to have varying degrees of interest um, in politics. You know, you're going to have varying degrees of engagement across all demographics and age groups. So I don't think that's an argument to deprive 16 and 17 year olds to vote. I think it's a very simple principle that if you're deemed old enough to work, to go out and get employment, to make national insurance contributions, some 16 year olds are already paying income tax um, in, in part time and other employment then you should be able to have a say about how those tax pounds and euros are spent um, and how the state is run. And I think fundamentally that's what it comes down to. In terms of what we can do in the meantime, um, while we're waiting on the franchise being extended, I mean, I have started to do some work through my local council to try and get youth shadow councils up and running to get more younger people actually involved in shaping policy and having an input into, into the work that their local council is doing. I'm also really pleased to see that a similar um, proposal has been brought forward to have a shadow assembly as well. So there are things other than, you know, extending the franchise that we can do to get more young people involved in politics. But it's something that I think all of us here are probably really passionate about. And you're not probably not going to get much disagreement from us um, on this particular issue tonight. Uh, Tate, I know you've got your hand up. So if you want to jump in next. Yeah, thanks a million. Um, I suppose just to start by saying that the, the Green Party policy is is to support the, the votes at 16. Um, I think like it's, it's important to take on board the arguments against it, absolutely. Uh, and you know you do you do make the, the point that there's a lot of 16 and 17 year olds who, who aren't maybe well enough informed to go and make a, an informed choice but uh, like you know when you become 18 and you have your vote I think a lot of people go through a phase when they have their first vote they start looking things up you know they start saying all oh, right well who's this I better actually read up on this so there's no harm in starting that process two years earlier and I think it's a solution to political education and political engagement as a whole among young people if you if you allow them that right to vote at 16. Um, I mean there's a lot of theories some theories will say that you know well you're going to have more a more left-wing government or you're going to have a more uh, higher vote for left-wing parties and then there's other theories that ah sure they'll just vote with whatever way their parents tell them to and that kind of thing and um, so I you know I think we're, we're just kind of speculating there the reality is I think it's 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 the correct thing to do you know, as for as for really being informed, I think I mean the, the biggest strikes we've seen over the last couple of years uh, have been climate strikes. <clears throat> they've been housing strikes. They've been um, you know protests even back two or three years ago on on repealing the Eighth Amendment. Uh, young people are at the forefront of of all of these issues. Um, particularly, I think the climate strikes just uh, because of the Fridays for Future movement. Um, and if young people are able to feel that passionately about a, <clears throat> about a political issue, they're able to vote. I suppose another important point is, you know, there's no there's no cutoff point on the other end for, for voting. And at the end of the day, we vote for the future. We vote for what we want to change. We vote for what we want to happen in the future, not on the past. And so it's a vitally important that young people uh, have a huge say in what's to come in their futures. Absolutely. Uh, I think we'll go to Darv and PPP next. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Let me know if you guys can hear me because sometimes my internet cuts out. 
but um, yeah, and just coming back on a couple of things that were said, 100% on for voting at 16, uh, that's my party's position as well. But I do think, yeah, there's a kind of false patronizing perception that young people are maybe too naive to vote at the age of 16, that maybe they're not old enough to think about things critically. But I think, you know, and to back that up, people usually point to the low voter turnout for 18 to 24 year olds. But I think a lot of that is to do with people not you know, there's so few parties that represent the interests of young people and young people uh, frequently don't see themselves reflected in uh, in Stormont or um, in the Dáil or in any of the county councils. But I think something that's similar is there's frequently low turnout in working class areas, but it doesn't necessarily mean that those people aren't clued into what's going on politically. Uh, I mean, if you look at any area, working class area in Dublin, uh, anywhere in Clondalkin, where I'm from, uh, during the uh, the uh, right to water protests. I mean, there were thousands upon thousands of people who were politically active, albeit it wasn't on a parliamentary level, but uh, those people were still aware of what's going on, even though turnout might have been low. So I think it's kind of similar with young people that, you know, there's a bit of an apathy towards the political establishment, towards parliamentary politics, you know, and towards politicians in general, which is why I think uh, turnout is low. But in my own personal experience, uh, being on the Debenhams picket with the workers there, a lot of the people supporting them are younger people in tenants unions and uh, and housing action groups. A lot of the members are younger people. And recently after the killing of George Floyd, or sorry, George and Kensho, uh, there was a huge, well, George Floyd as well, the Black Lives Matter protest. Uh, there's a huge amount of young people and particularly young black people who were not represented at all in the Dáil or in county councils or in Stormont, uh, but are nonetheless politically active and at the moment calling for things like uh, Garda reform and reform to mental health. So I think there are people who are young people who are politically active, who are politically aware, who don't necessarily vote because they don't see themselves reflected. And I think even if you look at the political parties that try to engage uh, young people, um, you know, uh, they often deal with young people in a kind of discriminatory way by creating a separate youth organization. Like most parties say to young people, yes, we value your vote, but uh, we don't value your politics enough that you can have a say in what the the older part of the party is doing. I think, you know, that's a bit, you know, youth uh, parties can pass as much legislation as they want about ending uh, direct provision or about reforming healthcare. But at the end of the day, uh, it's up to the, the rest of the party to decide whether they're going to listen to that. I think, you know, youth politics, as in the way um, political parties form youth organizations, uh, is almost to put a valve on progressiveness so that, you know, there's all these progressive and sometimes radical uh, young people who come into politics with great ideas and, you know, uh, yeah, really great ideas about reform and stuff. But, you know, their vote isn't worth the same within the party as, you know, someone who's older than them, someone who's 18, someone who's 25. But I think in general, I think someone mentioned this before, there is a fear, I think, in the establishment that if 16 year olds were able to vote, they would vote overwhelming, overwhelmingly for uh, non-establishment parties. And like, us, for example, people before profit, we do uh, we do get um, a lot more votes from young, younger people. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of sixteen-year-olds they're part of the workforce. They pay tax, you know, but they get no representation in the dollar instalment. You know, they're not able to make. They don't have any uh, decision-making power. And I think that's you know fundamentally a bit undemocratic. Thanks. Brilliant. Uh, I want to bring Rory in on this because Rory, you're obviously you're only 15. So if we do bring it in, you'll actually feel the effects of it. But let's be honest. Do you think most of your, of your friends would actually go and vote? 
Well, firstly, I'd like to say that I would I would love to be able to vote at the age of 16. But if I think, if I look at my class, for example, or I look at my friends, they wouldn't be as tuned in as I would be. Uh, I would actually have friends who would be highly uh, interested and involved in youth politics. But um, for the most part, the majority just are not... Much about it, they wouldn't know the difference between Shinvain and between. I think you're cutting out a bit there, Rory. Is my internet a problem? Yeah, I think if you turn your uh, video off, Sorry, it might is just proper. Is it uh, better so... now? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So there are people who, while I and friends would be. Uh, interested and involved in youth politics for the most part most people are not involved or at all or interested or even tuned in like they would not know the difference between left and uh, right wing Uh, they wouldn't know most of the names of some of the smaller parties Um, and I feel that the government is actually going and taking a bit of a step back uh, in the approach if they were going for uh, reducing the voting age, as CSBE is no longer an exam subject in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, It is now non-exam, and this is the first time since its introduction to 2000. Um, And with that, there has been a lack of regard for, um, for the subject in general. But at the same time, um, there is Corlin and Oak all over Ireland in every electoral uh, constituency. There is a Corlin and Oak branch and the TDs do listen to what they have to say. So there is, there are being efforts made. Um, there are efforts being made, but at the same time, it's as though the government really are trying to say, no, um, they would not like 16 year olds to be voting. Brilliant. Uh, so I suppose if the from I suppose uh, Luke and Tate, you are the only ones from a government party here. Do you do you think that if we do bring in votes at sixteen, your parties will take hits, especially from Luke, because your party is more on the right than on the left? Uh, do you think your user going to take much of a hit if we do bring it in? Well, I think we. Um... And I would say that my party really needs to listen to young people more than we are right now, especially on um, on the issue of housing, on the issue of the environment, um, the the health crisis that we're facing. I think you've cut out a bit there, Luke. And it's, you know, to be politically active, especially around the um, the climate strikes that have been mentioned, the um, Leaving Cert right now, um, all the other issues that have been mentioned where you see young people expressing um, opinions, even when it comes to their involvement in, in um, even social media uh, campaigns around the US election. Like um, we saw that in this election, like never before um, in 2020. And um, yeah, you know, as I say, um, I think my own party could change slightly when it comes to the issues that matter to um, young people. But at the moment, um, 
um, I would still say that um, we do really need to extend um, the voting age to 16 first, but only after um, we have kind of had that discussion around we're talking about, you know, referendums or are we talking about local elections? Yeah, or, you know, or the doll or the, Europe, the um, European Parliament as well. Uh, Christine, I wanted to bring you in because you're from one of the younger parties. So I suppose people are a lot less familiar with what you stand for in comparison with the likes of Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and Sinn Féin, who are a lot more established than the Sock Dems. So I'm wondering, what is, what's the, I suppose, official policy of the Sock Dems on this? On the, on the vote of 16? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So um, I was actually talking to the Sock Dems today and it was actually a 16-year-old who actually brought in motion and that passed. So um, there, we do have a position that uh, people can vote at 16 and we want, um, we, we have a young base, like we have loads of 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds and getting involved and bringing in motions. And that's what I was, uh, what I want to talk about is that we allow youth to um, get involved in political parties. So for example, like Young Finnegan, they start at 15, Ogre Fianna Fáil, 16, Ogre Sinn Féin is 15, Sock Dems is 16, and Young Greens is 16, and then there's all of the other parties. So we get, um, you know, we get the youth involved, we get 16 year involved in parties, and we'll give them a taster of what parties are like. And I've, I've met some very vocal 16 year olds, and I really think that they can, they're our future, like they can change, um, you know the government like they can they, they can vote in a good government um most of the uh, most of the policies that um the government is bringing in affects these young people so young people should be allowed to hold them to account um i just Rory just said that csp is no longer in the junior shirt which is uh, i didn't actually know that um but I think CSP gives you like a very good introduction into politics. It's not just Irish politics, but like I remember I was I was learning about different politicians in in Asia and, and stuff like that when I was doing my junior cert. So I think we need to have um, more courses, more political courses. And I know for the leaving cert, they actually in 2018 they introduced a new course that was. Uh, politics and society, I think is what it's called. So that will get them more, it'll get people interested. And as uh, as the others have said, you, you know, you have repeal the eight, you have the gay marriage referendum. I know myself because I uh, wanted to, uh, I was actually campaigning. I was under age at the time, but I was uh, campaigning outside um, St. Stephen's Green Shopping Centre and I was trying to get people to, uh, vote for gay marriage and then I was obviously arguing with Iona Institute people there and you know that's that's what got me involved in, uh, you know interested in politics um just debating with people and there's debating societies in secondary schools and that also got people in, um interested in politics so I do think 16 year olds are mature enough to uh, vote for political parties I can understand the criticisms from um from other people uh, that they might not know what they're voting for and they might vote in left-wing you know, governments. But I think left-wing governments are good. So I really do want 16-year-olds to vote. 
Brilliant. Uh, I think we're going to move on from that, and I suppose it's time to throw in one of the more contentious issues, the border poll. Uh, so, I know most of us are coming from pro-unity uh, parties, so I, I want to take a different angle from it, rather than just, you know, should we have United Ireland or shouldn't we? So, how do we approach it? Like, do we go, do we just call it, someday have the Secretary of State call it and, you know, just let every party go hell for the other and see who can get us get us out of the UK and onto the South? Or do we, how do we actually engage with, I suppose, the unionist side of the community? What, what do we do? How do we approach this, such a contentious issue? So can we start with you, Dara, from the SLP? Um, yeah, lovely. One second, just going to turn on the old video. I, I, I think that's a very, very important question. I know that Colin Eastwood has actually said some stuff about creating a sort of um, New Ireland Commission about coming up with how we'd actually do it. But I think there does need to be a wider conversation within pro-unity parties of of how of how do we kind of how do we actually keep that link in terms of. Um, Look, how do we keep people who are unionist and regard themselves as unionists and regard themselves as from the PUL community and how do we kind of not merely placate them but make them very much included? Look, personally, I think that might involve some sort of some sort of um, special situation when it comes to sovereignty. I know after 1955 in Germany, the, the Allies were able to retain some level of um, some level of sovereignty over West Germany in terms of security. So it, I think that could definitely try and placate people. Um, not, not to use that word. I think so. I think there are other alternatives than simply moving the border northward. I think we need to have a look about um, improving outfits that work on a north south basis. I think definitely if we could have something like transport and show that that works and show that health cooperation works or education cooperation works to actually show that as an example of how, of how we could do it because I think it definitely can be all the various benefits to efficiency um, from from initially at least cooperation and that we don't need to move to potentially the more contentious elements of sovereignty I think so as well sovereignty is a bit of a kind of mis, um, sort of outdated concept if you look at you know when you're in the European Union obviously your sovereignty is benefited from being part of more powerful power but um but you are you are less free to do things with multinational corporations governments are less free they can't really dictate exactly what they want to do so in terms of sovereignty we're already very very constricted so i think having a, a, a sort of very narrow argument about whether of who who should have sovereignty over northern ireland i think that's wrong i think we need to have a, a conversation about what we, how we can benefit each other and be a bit more pragmatic i know that's not exactly the position of my party but i think it's the best way of doing it um in, in terms of winning people over on arguments not simply a sectarian brilliant uh jack you've your hand up so i think we'll go for you next yeah so just to kind of comment on my own personal you know opinion and understanding of what a united ireland should be uh, in the context of how we prepare for uh, united ireland and how all communities catholic protestants in the center are united under a shared island that we can all be proud of and we can all you know prosper in and that equality will you know truly prevail in i think ideas like the new ireland forum as dara mentioned are very very uh, constructive they're very very um useful but we do need to shed this kind of outward and i, I suppose it's it's nearly you know 
it's nearly jingoist in the way some people can, you know, I, I suppose wear their their community badges with so much, um, you know, so much authority nearly to try and, you know, out trump, you know, the opposite community. I think we really need to have a conversation before we consider a border poll of how we can stop looking at, you know, a United Ireland as an issue that is concessions for one community, concessions for another. And that is based on this, you know, founding principle of uniting people on a social basis rather than on, you know, a national identity basis. And I think if you look at, you know, policy from the likes of the Workers' Party in the 1980s, you will see a great yearning for, you know, workers, you know, United Ireland, the Workers' Republic, not necessarily an Irish or, you know, you know, an, an otherwise um, national identity republic. And I think that's something that we really need to explore. And it's something we need to, to look at. And I suppose as well to comment on what Dara said about, you know, the systems and the bodies in place that, uh, you know, span the border. We do need to look at them, we need to improve them. I was very disappointed, in fact, to see the motion proposed by the SOC Dems on Dublin City Council to remove the provision for an All-Ireland National Health Service, uh, of which I, I, I'm being told by my, my comrades in Labour that uh, Labour Dublin City Councillors are going to um, support the original motion uh, unamended. So I think the likes of an All-Ireland National Health Service, um, you know, on a, on, a, on a cultural level, United sports teams and this general movement towards um, kind of losing the, the barriers that we've put up uh, again, you know, kind of to shield out influence and, you know, feedback from the respective communities. I think that's something that really needs to be examined and, you know, critically analysed by people who, who stand for, uh, you know, a shared island and, you know, consider themselves Republicans. Brilliant. Uh, Owen, I want to bring you in here very quickly, just because I suppose you're the you're the closest to a unionist party. I know Alliance isn't a unionist party, but all, everyone here is, I suppose, declared nationalist almost. But one of the things that I suppose everyone kind of gets confused about Alliance is uh, no one really knows your constitutional position. Like the idea that you don't have one, but then there are members who do and then some who don't. And it's... It's kind of confusing, even to me, and I love politics, but I suppose, what is the Alliance position? Because so many people don't know and don't understand it. Yeah, well, I mean, look, where I'm coming from is, I mean, Northern Irish politics has been about nothing but the constitutional question for the best part of 100 years now. In fact, 100 years this year. Um, and it hasn't really got us anywhere because what you have is establishment parties who play zero-sum tribal political games um, and they go out and they bang the drum and play to their own audience and don't attempt to reach out or actually move society forward. So in terms of what our position is, it's actually not all that complicated, um, although our opponents like to make out that it is. We are a cross-community party. We're a party of people who are nationalist, people who are unionist, and people who don't fit into either of those boxes. Um, and our position is that we support the principle of consent. So ultimately, as per the Good Friday Agreement, which is overwhelmingly endorsed by people on this island, north and south, it's actually not a decision for politicians or a political party. It's a decision for the people of Northern Ireland to take as to what they want the constitutional position to be. So I think that's really important. There's also the case that, so in terms of, you know, how, how do we approach this? Um, I think you start with the Good Friday Agreement and the three-stranded approach. And I, I agree with some of the comments that have been made so far about 
taking a relationship-based approach, looking at the East-West relationships and the North-South relationships and cooperation and so forth. The Brexit referendum in 2016 was a lesson in how not to do referendums. So what you don't do is call a poll prematurely um, without having done any of the preparatory work. You need to have constructive engagement about what a United Ireland would actually look like. So as someone who represents a cross-community party, as someone who represents moderate voters, I think we're actually critical to that debate. And what am I going to be looking for? And what am I going to be questioning? Well, I'm going to want to know how public finances are going to be handled and subvention. I'm going to want to know, for example, well, I've heard a lot about an all-Ireland all National Health Service. The NHS and universal health care that's free at the point of access, as someone who is left of centre, is incredibly important to me. So I'm going to want to see detailed proposals about how that's going to work and how that's going to function. I'm going to want to know things like, well, okay, in Northern Ireland at the moment, we have the Good Friday Agreement. We have protection for British and Irish identity. How would that then endure into a different constitutional context? How would the political institutions function? Would there still be some element of devolution, for example? So those are all questions that we don't know the answer to. Um, and what Brexit taught us is we need to have those conversations and have an agreed proposal before we then put it to the people. Because what you end up with, if you just have a referendum based on principle without any of the detail, you have a different version of a United Ireland for every single vote in the referendum. Everybody will have a different idea about what it is that they're voting for. There's also that point then about, you know, you'll have parties like the SDLP and Sinn Féin who, regardless of how much the impact of United Ireland on the people of Northern Ireland, they will support it. You will have the DUP and UUP that even if the even if United Ireland was going to be in the economic and social interests of people in Northern Ireland, they would oppose it. So Alliance is in that position where we're happy to engage and have a constructive conversation about what alternatives might look like. But ultimately, the position that I take and the position that others in the party take is going to depend on the answers to the questions that I've just asked. So are we going to have a better health service or not? Is the economy going to be stronger or not? Are the public finances going to be in a better position or not? And when I know the answers to those questions, I'll be in a better position then to, to take a stance and, and, and to campaign. And I mean, it's not a conversation that I'm going to sit out if and when a border poll is called. Um, but at the minute, what I'm focused on is dismantling that fence in Northern Ireland, taking Northern Irish politics forward in a way that isn't about a culture war over the constitutional question or identity or the past, but is about health and education and the issues that affect people in the here and now, while also facilitating a constructive conversation, because obviously the constitutional question is important to people. Um, so that's, I hope that sort of clears up where we are and where I am, and I hope that does give a bit of an explanation to people who maybe aren't sure, because I know some people aren't, particularly people who maybe aren't in Northern Ireland or don't follow Northern Irish politics closely. Um, but I think having that strong cross-community party in a place like Northern Ireland, which has suffered sectarian conflict for so long, is actually a really positive thing um, and something that I think that will endure into the future. Excellent. Uh, Dara from PBP, you wanted to jump in? Yeah, I, um, I just wanted to jump in there. And like, I guess, firstly, yes, we are for a border poll. Uh, I think, you know, people north and south, they should have, you know, make the final decision on where the border lies or if it's there at all. But I think, you know, the national question is, um, or the constitutional question, it's a lot more than just, you know, having a poll, kind of like um, what the previous speaker from Alliance Own was saying. Uh, you know, if if we do have a border poll, you know, are people in the North voting to join with us, you know, as a tax haven with chronically underfunded education? Would people in the North be voting for 
uh, vulture funds from the south that have uh, destroyed housing to do the same to the north? Uh, would they be voting for underfunding schools and underfunding, uh, you know, the National Health Service? So in terms of how you actually go about fighting for a united Ireland, I think, I think it would be wrong to campaign just on people's sense of nationalism, uh, which, you know, is obviously alienating to people from unionist backgrounds. But I mean, the debate around the border poll or around the United Ireland, it's almost always uh, framed as an option between Irish capitalism and British capitalism, where you have one bad sectarian system or another uh, bad system. So I think, you know, any movement towards the United Ireland, it can't just be about an end to partition in some symbolic sense. It needs, about, needs to be about bringing real unity. It needs to be about bringing an end to austerity, fair and equal access to healthcare. Uh, properly staffed and funded uh, schools. You know, that's what I think people before profit, what we've been advocating for, what we've been trying to build. We've taken a strong stance against austerity on both sides of the border. Our policy doesn't change depending on which side we're on. I think, uh, as Jack mentioned before, one of our councillors, Tina McVeigh, has brought uh, a motion forward at Dublin City Council. And I know we're, we might be talking about healthcare later, but um, it's to do with the formation of an All-Ireland NHS. And I think that's one of the, uh, the, the response to the pandemic is one of the ways in which, I mean, it's pretty clear how partition has failed people on both sides of the border. I mean, you know, we're on the same island, but we're treating, uh, treating COVID-19 with two different policies, essentially. Uh, but yeah, as I was saying, I think uh, the strategy of simply proposing an end to partition that doesn't try to bring about real equality is doomed to fail. You know, you won't be able to reach out to people from either community, I don't think. And um, I think, um, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. In short, you know, people before profit is for a united Ireland, but we're looking for an equal Ireland. We're not just looking for, you know, the North to join us and for us to dump all our problems <laughs> on people from the North. I think, you know, you need to be campaigning for real change. That's how you reach out to people on all sides of the community. Thanks. I suppose uh, we can't have a conversation about a united Ireland without Sinn Féin. So we'd like to bring Cormac in here. Um, firstly, just to say, personally, I was, uh, ever since I was four years old and I walked in on my dad listening to the radio and they were talking about the famine, I've always kind of thought, God, maybe UK influence isn't the best. That's where it started for me. However, um, you know, personally, I think, well, I'll part of it first, obviously, you know, I don't need to explain to you the whole thing, you know, Cynthia and you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, at the moment, the party is going for a border poll within five years. Personally, I would have always said that I would have been a border poll within 10 years. However, I think definitely in the last month, we've seen through the effects of Brexit, we've, th we've seen through the effects of that, how really disastrous and chaotic it's been now that the North of Ireland has been forced to you know, leave the EU against their own terms. Of course, you know, there was over a majority voted to stay in the EU in the North. However, of course, Boris just said, well, no, basically. Um, for example, you know, you're seeing all of the news and you know, you're seeing empty ship market sales and stuff last week i purchased a record online and i had to the record itself was 30 pound i had to spend 20 pound international shipping on it you know it's really just i think it's becoming more apparent in the last recent while how how chaotic being a member of the united kingdom is at the moment and it really just for, especially for our generation I think it needs to change because by throat's way. Um uh, sorry. 
doesn't change that now. Um, yeah, definitely within the next five years, the border poll is necessary. Um, within ten years, I would I was thought. Um, back to Owen's point, actually. Um, Owen's right. We do need to now start thinking of what a United Ireland would look like. What would an all idea of an all Ireland health service and the idea of public the the idea of public finances. Um, personally, I think this could be done in a number of ways. We're trying to figure out how it could look. It could be done. It could be done through the assembly. It could be done through the North the North South Ministry of Cancer. Here we have an RMA, which is collaboration between Stormont and the Dáil, and and there's just so many questions that need to be answered. But as I've said, because of Brexit, I think now is the time for those questions to be answered. We need to get on this issue now, um, because really it's going to if we don't get on now, it's going to yeah. Sorry, my throat is wet tonight. It's going to cause far more damage than waiting around will you know so i think definitely we need to jump on that now um yeah that's really all i have to say about first of all oh well uh, anybody else before i move on just even just on mute on mute yourself i'm happy enough um can i come back in or is that kind of go for it cool? um i i think as well what we need to do is not just have a discussion north side i think just in the mention of um, the North South Ministerial Council, stuff like the Joint Ministerial Council, um, working with the Scottish devolved government, Wales, even the Isle of Man, uh, and I think the Channel Islands might be involved there, and the UK government. I think we need to have a wider discussion, especially if Scotland's going to go independent, of how do we how do we relate ourselves within the sort of um, two islands of the kind of the, the wider the, the British Isles, not, not to use a great term there. But how, how do we see ourselves um, within that and those kind of bilateral and multilateral relations? Because I think they're very, very important um, to, um, to ensuring that when we have United Ireland, we're not just putting up the wall um, and, and being, you know, kind of this kind of borderline xenophobic attitude, like we hate the Brits and like, you know, keep, keep them away. So I think that's what we need to do. But anyway, thank you. No bother. Uh, anyone else before we move on? If I could. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, um, I, I think there have been uh, some, some really important points made around the uh, the cross-community approach that we need to take and also going simply beyond moving the border north. You know, this is really um, about cross-community, um, yeah, sorry, cross-community consultation, <laughs> I heard to say, and, uh, you know, having those conversations with, with all north and south and really, you know, de um, determining what those institutions would look like. Um, notably, uh, Fine Gael was the first party to propose the principle of consent, um, which was, well, in the South, um, which was um, condemned by the other major parties in the South at the time, but, uh, well, notably Fianna Fáil, but is now thankfully um, commonplace across all parties and is a core element of the Good Friday Agreement, uh, the maintenance and the protection of which is um, core to to, to our policy in regard to the future of the North and any hypothetical United States. Um, yes, I do think a border poll should be put to the people, but I don't think the time is right now, um, primarily because of the, of the uncertainty in, in, in the wake of Brexit and also the, the lack of assurance that we have on whether such a poll would actually pass um, and whether it's worth having that really divisive um discussion in the in the terms that we're in uh in, in the times that we're in right now sorry um and you know when when the time does come we can't 
rush this. As I say, you know, you, um, and I, I think the, the, the point that uh, um, Dara of the, the, the SDLP made, um, you know, uniting Ireland means uniting Ireland in more ways than just one. It, it means uniting people. It means uniting um, people from all communities and none. Um, because, you know, I think those of us who believe in um, a united republic need to um, accept the reality that I think you're cutting out there a wee bit, Luke. Uh, then it is now. You know there. Will... Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? If you if you yeah. turn your camera off, it should be a bit better for you. Yeah. Um. You know, such a state would be more orange, more unionist than the state that we 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 have now. So I suppose we do need to ensure that we have a system in place where all communities, both you know, within the north and north and south, feel respected. Um, and where we can cooperate for uh, for everybody's sake. Excellent. Uh, Jack, you've got your hand up there, so thank you. you. Want to jump in there? So go for it. Yes, just something very briefly that I don't think really has been mentioned, and I think it's just an important point to bear in mind, is that we can't just look at, you know, United Ireland and an approach to United Ireland on, you know, a social and economic and then a constitutional level. We have to look at it on a party political level as well. And what I mean by that is we have parties north and south that have very similar ideologies yet won't unite for the sake of facilitating a more empowered conversation on a United Ireland. And I include my own party, the Labour Party in that. And the lack of engagement we've had with uh, the SDLP and UK, you know, the Northern Irish branch of UK Labour in, you know, providing a voice, a party voice that is, you know, across border, you know, across border voice and isn't just, you know, a Southern voice on Northern issues. And I think a lot of other parties are guilty of that too. Um, you know, the, the ones that come to mind are the Sock Dems, Fine Gael, And, you know, it's, it, it is really disheartening to see parties not engage in organising a 32 county basis and I, I just have to take my hat off to, to PVP and Sinn Féin and the Green Party as well for actually organising and facilitating that more you know that more informed and empowered uh, conversation and approach to uh, party politics on a united you know a united basis. Absolutely uh, I think we're going to move on from that unless anyone has anything to jump in on but uh, a big one now in the I suppose in the news I know with I know Richard Boyd Barrett said that the, the PVP were going to introduce legislation first but uh, what about cannabis legalization it's been legalized in lots of parts of America I think it's legalized in quite a lot of Canada you know a lot of parts of the world so I suppose we kind of have because it's Richard Boyd Barrett we have to start off with Dara from PVP so go on sell your case <laughs> so it's actually uh, Gino Kenny who brought it uh, at the National oh, Council. I think um, I'm not sure when exactly um, you know everything will be voted for, but I think just you know to clear up some of the jargon, there is two kind of words, and I can't pronounce one of them. But there's decriminalization. I got it, and then there is legalization, which are two essentially different things. Decriminalization it kind of refers to how we treat the person. So if someone has uh, a drug addiction, we we treat it as a health issue rather than a criminal issue you know they get sent to the health service not the criminal justice system so 
and I was talking to Gino about this, you know, there's been a massive amount of work on decriminalization and the, uh, the most successful, I guess, example of that is the com of the complete decriminalization of drugs is in Portugal, where um, oh, I think they decriminalized it in the year 2000 and from 2001, 2002 to 2015, they had a drop of um, injection related HIV transmissions, it dropped from 1,430 to 77, which is a massive, um, a massive reduction and also 80% reduction in um, overdose related deaths. And I think it was 43% reduction in drug-related um, imprisonment. So um, that's decriminalization. Uh, that's something you know we've advocated for, but this is specifically legalization, which um, when talking about legalization, you're not talking about the person, you're talking about the drugs. So alcohol is an example of a legalized drug. Um, Gino has campaigned on the legalization of medical uh, cannabis before, and at the moment it's actually very difficult to access there is a family, I think he brought it up in the doll, not recently, but maybe a couple of months ago, a family in Cork who need it for their child, who actually have to fundraise to be able to afford it, which is, you know, a horrible thing to have to do, you know, to have to look for funds just to get healthcare. But apart from the medical aspect, the legalization of, you know, recreational use of cannabis, um, I mean, there's the policing aspect. It's a huge waste of time <laughs> and resources, in my personal opinion. Uh, studies have shown that cannabis is far less dangerous than or lethal than alcohol. Uh, and a lot of the kind of issues to do with it, like uh, there's uh, issues with uh, heavy metal poisoning, it's to do with uh, regulation. Like if it is regulated, you know, we know where it's grown, we know what levels of certain toxins are in it. So the other thing is that if uh, cannabis is legalized, it takes the power out of the hands of criminals and the gangs who are selling it at the moment. You know everything becomes regulated and as well the other thing to talk about is the thousands of people who are thrown into the criminal justice system because of possession i think it's if you uh, are caught possessing it three times you can receive a jail sentence otherwise it's fine you know uh, jail sentences really aren't the way to treat people with problematic drug use that needs to be dealt with with the health system not the criminal justice system but um i think that's our case or that's my case essentially for uh the legalization of cannabis specifically. There's also people who advocate for the legalization of all drugs, but that's, you know, a completely different argument. So I'll let people come in then. So I suppose, is anybody opposed to the legalization of cannabis or decriminalization? Is anyone here? I suppose, no, I suppose not then. That, uh, means there's a bit less debate. But what about, I suppose this is going out to everyone then, what about all of the people whose lives have been seriously adversely affected by cannabis? The people who have found themselves using it and ending up on much stronger drugs, ending up overdosing and, you know, or the people who've had their minds completely destroyed almost by cannabis. So uh, I think, Jack, you've got your hand up, so I'll fire that to you first. Yeah, so I suppose when we talk about the kind of progression from, you know, the soft drugs per se, such as cannabis to more malevolent drugs, we're really looking at the means of procurement. And that's, that's what we have to focus on. Cannabis is at present considered a class A illegal substance in Ireland, as, as is heroin or as is cocaine. And if we do legalize cannabis and it's treated in a more socially acceptable way, as is the case with alcohol or tobacco, 
the culture around this progression from you know a seemingly soft drug to a harder drug I'm, I'm not going to say it's eliminated because we have the illegal you know and illicit sale of cigarettes and alcohol already even though you know they're completely legalized so we're, we're always going to have the minority that engage in, in illicit trade of cannabis even if it is legalized but the the kind of culture around the procurement of cannabis is totally destroyed the criminal uh, culture around it is, is destroyed to the point where those who sell it in a you know in an illegal capacity are in the you know are in the, the minority so i suppose what we have to look at is more the means of procurement when we talk about this kind of progression from cannabis to say heroin or cocaine rather than just well you know if you take cannabis there's a huge likelihood regardless of where you get it from how it's regulated or you know the the traceability of it you're going to go on to these drugs so i think that's just something very important to bear in mind when we talk about maybe the, the progression from one drug to another Name i know cannabis. uh tate i think you want to jump in there yeah thanks a million um i suppose just to initially say the green party position has been for years to to legalize medicinal cannabis and to decriminalize uh, cannabis for recreational use so that would mean uh, removing criminal offenses for the possession and or the or the use of uh, under five grams um i suppose the big question is uh, i i don't want to go over a lot of po- very good points made by dara and jack so i don't want to go repeating but i agree with the vast majority of them um i suppose i absolutely support the, the decriminalization of cannabis uh, i don't think it's fair to compare it to the other drugs and i think that's actually a, an argument in favor of decriminalization you know um, if alcohol was illegal it might be the case that we saw alcohol in a similar light um, but the reality is they all have different effects uh, and uh, you know i suppose an answer to your question of of what do you say to people who have had lives really badly affected by by cannabis i think you would say well it's a health issue you know what you're talking about is somebody's health um, that person isn't a criminal, um, but they might need some help. Um, and if they are, you know, taking a lot of cannabis, we don't want them to feel like they're um, nervous to come forward to somebody and say that they've been taking a lot of cannabis and it's affecting their 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 health at all. Um, in fact, they should be encouraged to come forward and seek seek help. Um, and I think decriminalisation helps that. Um, I suppose then the big question is, <laughs> if it's brought forward by people for profit, will it be supported or not? Um, I suppose if I, if I look through my magic ball, I'm going to predict no by the government because it's not in the in the program for government. Uh, and there's been a, a strong trend, we'll call it, um, <laughs> of uh, things that are in Green Party policy, but not in the program for government, uh, not getting support by the government. Uh, now, in fairness to them, I think their hands are a little bit tied behind the back there now that they're in this government and there's a whip. Um, but I suppose just to address that uh, it is Green Party policy, I very, very, very much hope it's passed uh, by the government, or at least a constructive amendment, uh, and at least it's 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 the government work with the motion uh, in a constructive way. Um, again, if I was to um, look into the future, I doubt that's going to happen, unfortunately, but I suppose all we can do is at the next election, um, if it's an issue you're passionate about, go and, and support parties who are active on the issue and who are, who are in support of the issue so that the next government can, can pass it. Christina, see you've got your hand up, so you jump in there. Uh, yeah, so I have just something short uh, to say. Like, uh, obviously, the Social Democrats uh, support access to medical cannabis via prescription. Um, I, w- I personally would be in favor of uh, legalizing cannabis and decriminalizing it because I think people are being 
you know, they're being criminalized under the Misuse of Drug Act in 1977. And I think, you know, there's other crimes out there that should be criminalized for, like this is, this is really minor. But um, in terms of, of the health, um, obviously they should be going, to, they shouldn't be uh, in prisons, they should be going to, to seek help. Like, um, but you see, cigarettes are, are legal, you know, they're, they're socially acceptable. And um, when you compare the health risks between a cigarette and uh, cannabis, you know, that it's much worse. Like I have relatives that, um, got, that you know, a whole, got a hole in their throat because of smoking so many cigarettes and uh, cancer obviously um, is caused by cigarettes. Whereas um, cannabis is kind of used to uh, uh, medically to, um, for depression and, and for other illnesses. Um, so I think that they, they should legalize cannabis and for medical uses and recreational uses because it's much safer than say alcohol and uh, cigarettes, which is uh, legalized drugs in Ireland here. Brilliant. Uh, Cormac, I think, I th I'm pretty sure you're down to get in there, so. Uh... Um, yeah, this is kind of one, I wouldn't say close to my heart, but I'm hoping to go and study mental health nursing next year down in DCU. <clears throat> and um, one of the areas that I'm actually really interested in looking at is how different drugs obviously affect the brain and whatnot. And personally, um, Sinn Féin is the, the larger party of Sinn Féin. We don't have actually a general policy or in favour of medical legalisation of cannabis. However, uh, the Ogres are in, are, um, in favour of the Portuguese healthcare-based model, where we don't look at drug addiction as a crime, we look at it more as a health problem. Um, and I have, I've, I've had a wee bit of experience in looking at, obviously you can't say much with relation to my job and different stuff that I've researched because it's, uh, yeah, sorry, so it's been related to work experience and such. However, um, you know, there's different people who have, you know, started off on something small like marijuana. And obviously, you know, if you're smoking a bit of cannabis, very, very, very rarely will that get you totally hooked. You know, most people who smoke cannabis smoke it once for a bit of crack, you know, I guess stereotype nowadays, you know, go off to Amsterdam for a weekend break, you know, that's, I mean, we all know somebody who's done it. However, um, it is a rare small problem whenever someone starts on some small like that and then, you know, slowly builds the way up, you know, next time they're out, you know, you might be able to read, you might take X or something, someone offers you X and you just go for it, you know, which is obviously a step above. And in that circumstance, I do believe it should still be fully legalized, fully decriminalized as PPP believes. However, I do think that there should be far more support for those who are becoming addicted and are moving their way slowly up the ladder, I guess you could say, from class C, class B, class A and such. And um, yeah, definitely the Portuguese healthcare-based model is far more, I think it's the far more empathetic human way to look at things, you know, because, you know, most people, I've never met someone on heroin. I'm going to say, I've never met someone on heroin. But I'm assuming someone who does heroin, you know, it isn't a, you know, they're not doing it out of their own free will, you know, it is a dependency, unfortunately, it is that kick in the back of the head that just makes them feel like they have to keep taking it. And the best way to, that, to deal with that is not by throwing them in prison, it is not to, to put them in court, it is to put them and take them with, <coughs> sorry, it's, but take them to hospital and try to get them the help they need because there's no 
point in taking them to prison, you know, putting them cold uh, concrete rooms. I'm not saying that's all prisons, like cold concrete rooms, and putting them in a therapy class every two weeks. You know, that's it. It doesn't act as a deterrent anymore. It just makes them. It, it just gives them depression, and then as soon as they're right, you know, within a week, say they could be back on it. You know, so I think the best way to look at it is through uh, definitely a new approach to how we look at drugs and drug addiction by the healthcare method. So, um, yeah. Uh, Rory, I want to bring you in quickly here and then after, just quickly, and then I'll bring in Luke after. Yeah, so I'm just going to say that marijuana use has been historically common among adolescents and the drug has typically uh, been easy to come by regardless of its legal status. And I find that uh, if the drug was decriminalized, then it would be giving the wrong message to young people if people are no longer being uh, fined and imprisoned for this crime, then they may think, well, then why, why would it be a problem if I was to use it? And I feel then people may go to different lengths. There would be an influx in the amount of people um, taking the drug and people may be going to different lengths to receive this drug. And if it's not regulated, um, if it's not regulated, we don't know what is in each um, um, each, sorry, Joint. I'm not familiar with marijuana. Um, <laughs> as you can tell, I'm not, like, I wouldn't be familiar with the terminology, but uh, when they purchase uh, cannabis, they would not be, um, you would not know what is in it, is what I'm trying to say. Um, so while I'm not the biggest, uh, I wouldn't be the biggest fan of uh, legalization of any drug, I find that if it was legalized, and it was regulated and controlled by the state and taken out of the hands, more or less, more or less taken out of the hands of uh, gangs and uh, criminal uh, criminals, then it would be better for the health of uh, young people. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pass on to Luke because I know you're down to get in there. No one is there. Yeah, this is one of those times, um, if you can hear me, yeah? Right. Yeah, this is one of those times where I find myself um, siding with Sinn Féin and with PPP, which is quite, quite rare. Uh, <laughs> um, while uh, Fine Gael doesn't, <coughs> sorry, my throat's up there. <laughs> while um, Fine Gael doesn't have a, a formal position on this issue, um, Young Fine Gael does, which is again, like over Sinn Féin, in, in line with the, um, the Portuguese model, I believe, which um, needs to recognize this as, as a health issue, which is exactly what this is. Um, and I would say that that there is no scientific evidence that um, cannabis can be used uh, um, as a gateway drug, uh, as, you, as you've um, you asked in your second question there, if it can, you know, encourage the use of um, harder substances. I don't think it can. I think scientists are um, mostly in consensus that it, it, it can't in um, the majority of, of cases, but um, decriminalization has benefits which could reach into so many sectors. And as has, has been, been pointed out, um, taking money out of the, uh, the, the gangland scene does, you know, it takes the money out of that trade and that deals with a huge portion of, of that 
that problem. Um, and while I'm not fully sold on the ideal uh, on the idea, the idea of, of legalizing cannabis for recreational use, um, the current system we have here, which is um, where medical cannabis is only allowed with case by case approval from the Department of Health, um, is not sufficient. Um, we do need to move on, I think, to a system where you're going to have, um, you know, medical cannabis in, you know, however um, many forms. I am, you know, uh, in the Netherlands, I believe they have three which are available from pharmacies, but as a prescription drug that is there for medical use, but as has also been pointed out and, and, and as is absolutely essential, um, we do need to make sure that we regulate this. Um, unfortunately, I think what the PPP bill did um, in, I think it was 2018, 2019. Uh, I think you're cutting out a wee bit, Luke. Include the, right, can, can you hear me? Yeah, okay. if you turn your video off, I think. I can, yeah, yeah didn't fully, I suppose, um, include the correct regulatory process that we need, um, which is, you know, whereby if you put it through a system of saying, um, is it fully safe? You know, it doesn't meet that in terms of the side effects that it may have. There needs to be markings in the similar way to, um, to, to, to alcohol and to cigarettes, where you say, you know, there needs to be warnings here when it comes to its sale um you know it cannot just be a free for all but we really need to have um that discussion around cannabis and where we want to go with our laws in relation to, the, to that area so as i've said i agree with a lot of what has been said so far and there have been excellent points made from all parties on that i think so i think that's one where we're all pretty much in consensus <laughs> Okay, the, uh, we're running a bit late on time here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you all each 30 seconds each why somebody should vote for your party in the future. So uh, I'm going to start with Christine. Um, well, Sutton's is the progressive party. Um, it, we were really good at repeal the eight and uh, other progressive movements. Uh, we're... Uh, uh, we're a Southern party, but we're also for United Ireland. And um, we're a, a pro-science party and, re and really into um, challenging the government on the, the COVID situation. Uh, brilliant. Uh, Tate, you next. Um, first of all, just to say, I've very much enjoyed um, today and uh, it's great to speak to so many people involved in uh, politics and in on political parties and in other political groups, young people particularly, is something I'm very passionate about. And um, let's hope as well we can see more women involved, more diversity in all sorts uh, in the future. As regards to the Greens, I, I think, um, first of all, the, the Greens have parties north and south, um, both with their different merits. It's very hard for me to sum up all of that um, in a few seconds, and I don't want to go over time. But um, look at, I think, uh, the green issues, at least, uh, are extremely important. Uh, climate justice, social justice, um, and action on a wide range of issues. Um, and I, uh, I've gone away from my time now, so thanks. <laughs> uh, Dara from SDLP, next. 
I know you. High say yes. Sorry, I might, I might run out of the battery at any moment. Um, but yeah, basically, it's the SDLP and the SDLP youth. We are a, well, the main party is more centre-left party. We're a bit more to the left. We are the party of the European Socialists um, representative in Northern Ireland. We do, uh, we do a lot of stuff in PEZ and the Young European Socialists as well. Um, we're hoping to, in the future, come up with some bit, bit better policies. Um, and we're, yeah, we're pro-climate, we're um, pro-social justice, we're pro-reunification, um, and we're now a lot more socially liberal than we used to be. Um, so yeah, uh, it would be great to have anyone, uh, great to have anyone along um, to join us. Thank you. Uh, I think we'll go to Owen next. Why should we vote for Alliance? Yeah, well, I was actually somebody who was born the year the Good Friday Agreement was signed, and I think it's remarkable that 20 years on, I still live in a society where my community background still dictates so much about my life. So the reason why people should vote for Alliance is because I want, but it's the best way to secure a more integrated, fair, shared um, and open Northern Ireland. So, and I think Alliance is the only party as well that really has an incentive to reform the institutions in a way that can make them function for the people of Northern Ireland. Uh, I think we'll go Jack next. Yeah, so I know a couple of people are going to be shaking their heads in disbelief when I start telling people about the virtues of Labour as a, so a democratic socialist party and a party in the tradition of Connolly and Larkin. But as the oldest party in the state and the, a party that has made many mistakes in its 109-year history, the new generation of Labour want to atone. They want to right the wrongs of old and they want to revert the party back to its democratic socialist roots and they want to make the party left again. So if you want to vote for a movement, not just a party, a labor movement that's ensconced in the trade union movement that will fight for workers, that will fight for people, and that will demand true equality and fight social and economic justice uh, that is unparalleled by any party in the future, considering the people that we have and you know the momentum that we're getting on our campaigns, vote left and vote labor. Uh, Luke, why are we voting for Nagel? Well, especially as a young person and as a young member, I think we're a party who, who, who have changed a lot recently in terms of our social policy. We were, um, of course, you know, a leading voice in the campaigns for marriage equality, for um, repeal of the eighth um, repeal was a campaign that I was very much involved in. And um, also in terms of our um, policies, I think we, you know, we do tend um, to take that more responsible approach to Irish unity, to to um, to climate action, which does take you know the entire country into account, from all you know, from agriculture to our cities, too, um, in terms of healthcare and in terms of the um, economy. We are kind of you know renowned for that, I suppose, fiscal responsibility too, but. Um, yeah, I would, um, so, you know, as I'm sure a lot of us would agree there are, are things about our parties that we would change or spun in, in um, a different way, but I would suggest you vote for Fine Gael, of course. <laughs> okay, I think finally we'll finish in the Shinners. Let's go, Cormac. 30 seconds. 30 seconds, Tamer. No, yep. um, only all Ireland, only yeah. Sorry, I messed up. <laughs> um, you know, we've 
to got to at the moment uh, with us coming to our biggest uh, ever election victory in the 26 counties. We are going to give the best opposition possible in the history of the state. Uh, we have two brilliant leaders in the form of Joe O'Neill and um, Mary Lou MacDonald. Every, I haven't met a single part of person, elected representative, common member, volunteer in the party who is not totally dedicated to the cause of United Ireland. And dedicated to the cause of the United Ireland. Um, definitely because you know, and, and better in each community. I've never seen, especially here in Armagh City, you know, of different kinds of four councillors here in Armagh City. And I have to say, you know, every single one of them are totally dedicated to bettering each community, bringing in different resources, different funds to, to improve the lives of people living here. I can honestly say that my experience in Sinn Féin has been absolutely brilliant, and I'm sure everyone else will have a great experience in Sinn Féin. Thank you very much. Me being smart, I forgot Tara of the PPP, so uh, let's go. Dara. Yeah, I thought you forgot about me. Uh, I, I just wanted to say overall thanks uh, for everybody who got involved. This was a lot of fun, actually. And, you know, I didn't get to say everything about the legalization of cannabis. So it'd be awesome if we could have another discussion about that. But in terms of, you know, why you would vote for PVP, I think even though we're a smaller party, uh, we're, we're no less dedicated to, you know, uh, people powered movement from calling for a zero COVID approach, which I think is becoming, you know, the mainstream uh, um you know, what experts are calling for uh, in our response to the pandemic to calling for an All-Ireland NHS, which will possibly pass uh, Dublin City Council, hopefully, fingers crossed. I think uh, whatever we're fighting for, um, climate justice, the end of direct provision, we're no less dedicated than, than any other party, even if they have more TDs. I think another thing is um, we represent people on both sides of the border. And, you know, even if we have people in Stormont and people in the Dáil, outside of the Dáil and outside Stormont, when we're canvassing, when we're at protests, I'm sure you're you're all sick of us turning up with protests outside things. But we stand by our principles. You know what we say in the doll, we say to people on the streets. I think you know that's an important thing that you uh, that you're consistent in your message. Thanks. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you guys all for taking part. I'd like to also thank everyone for who's here live for tuning in. Thank you for everyone who's eventually going to listen to the uh, I suppose to the recording. Thank you all for coming on. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, well done. You've, you were all brilliant. And thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Yes. Bye, An impromptu recording. Uh, I'd like to just say thanks to James O'Hart for all of his brilliant editing. So thank you, James.